Welcome to the Etsy Podcast. I'm your host, Justin McRoberts. One of the points of conversation we are returning to over and over during this series we're doing at the intersection of mental health and spiritual practice has to do with the benefit or the problem of familiarity with mental health issues, with mental health terminology, with diagnostic tools. There's a world of conversation now in public about what it means to be depressed, to have depression, to live with ADHD, to have anxiety. Does the familiarity with and the public dialogue about these things actually benefit us? That was one of the reasons I was looking forward to talking to Dr. John Deloney, because so much of what he does doesn't just happen in books, because he's made a few books, but actually happens in public, in public dialogue with people who bring to him their life issues. And he brings to them a knowledge of brain chemistry and a knowledge of mental health patterns and practices in an attempt to not just meet the caller when they call in, but also meet listeners. I have known Dr. John Deloney since long before he was a doctor. He's become a good friend of mine. We share a passion for a lot of things in common. But more so than anything else, we really like people, and we love the opportunity to do what we can to care for those who make themselves available to us. I think you'll enjoy this conversation. I certainly did. Check it out. How are you playing? Like musically? Are you jamming out? Well, this, so this is a weird thing. So <laughs> at this company, like, everybody comes to Nashville to make it. Oh, and yeah. then they have to get real jobs. And so it started probably like being a radio talk show host, like a real job. That guy, yeah. Exactly. yeah, exactly. Like engineers and digital designers or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so it started about 10 or 15 years ago where like during lunch, they would have like a couple of groups had formed and they're like, we don't have a ballot bands. No way. Now, last year, they spent a quarter million dollars. They get all the best sound engineers in Nashville. They, there's thousands of people here out in this building outside in this amphitheater. And it's a chaotic mayhem. But, like, the band we put together two years ago, we just played old Hades, 80s hair metal. Um, the drummer was in the American Idol band. And then the, the one of the guitarists started Need to Breathe. And now he's, like, like a... Oh, my gosh. But it, So it's, like, all these musicians are everywhere in this building. Admins. Yeah. And so we play a lot. Yeah. It's fun. That is fun. It, I need it just to get just go do it. But I don't play, like, show shows. No, but, I mean, you're, I mean, like, are you practice? Like how, how... I play guitar every day. It's like every a, day. It's part of my yeah routine. Yeah. And you've been doing because when you and I met, you're. I've been played, playing since I was a kid. Yeah, yeah you yeah. were playing guitar, yeah, yeah. writing songs. I want to be in a metal band so bad. I want to be in a punk band more than anything in the world. Yeah. And then when I saw you, I saw Bebop, I was like, you can get that same energy. You can take over a crowd, but I can just count on myself. Yeah. And that's a, I wasn't good at that. <laughs> I wasn't good at that. You know who's doing it the best? Frank Turner. Do you know that he, guy? He is. Absolutely fantastic. He's I, when he's I heard him, rock. I was like, "That's what I had in my head yes, that I couldn't. Totally, I wasn't good enough to do." It totally is. He's very punk rock. Like he's a he's, savant he's writer. Like full, he but he's got this folky edge. He has these Dylan elements to yeah. some what he does. And I can tell he's put in the work. Wise, he's very posy. He's put in the work uh, to like learn the old like Irish and English standards. That's what it's I'm like you know what I mean. Like it's like their Woody Guthrie's. He like. It looks 100%. Like he learned it. That's I don't what I'm know. saying. He has this sort of Dylan-esque the, the, the lyric structure, some of his stuff, but like his like his energy is very like the Pogues. Yeah, oh yeah. Like when they're like digging in. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah. It's it's uh, so fun. I saw so I went Social Distortion is my favorite band ever. Yeah. And so good. I watched them and then he was the opener. And he comes out and he's Whoa, this British. Is this guy. how you discovered him? This is how I discovered him. Oh my god. It's at House of Blues in Houston. There's you know, two thousand people, and those are the old like 
shaved head black boots punks, not yeah. the green hair Green Day punks, right? Different. They're like Those are arms. My, my punks are the green hair. <laughs> it's like the, the, the rancid punk. Yeah, these are like the crossed arm punks. Yes. Like, where's Mike Ness? And this guy comes out and he starts singing this folky. He's got a deep accent, yeah. which you got you got social D fans plus Texas equals. You're not from here, right? Yep. And then by the end of that show, dude, that Had whole him. crowd. And I remember just it was it was just magic. It was powerful. And I was like, that guy's got. You it. went and saw him live last year, right? Oh, I see him live all the time, and I I've, see him as I've, soon as I've, I can. I've, since I started listening to him, like I, like I love his stuff. Yeah, yeah. Recorded, I, like I can't imagine going and seeing a, a live set and not leaving a fan. Oh, it's 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 infectious. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like hanging out with a great friend who's really smart and it's just fantastic. Yeah, it's, yes. it's fun. It's like what, there are certain athletes who are that way. It's like you don't even have to like the sport. But there's certain athletes that guy's just play, awesome to watch. They play in such a way that you're like, I, I, I all day. I'll watch exactly. that guy. <laughs> Who's that uh, shooter? I just lost his name for Golden State. Go, uh, uh, you're talking about Steph Curry. Like, I don't, I'm not a basketball guy. I watch like, that he's guy so all fun. day. He's so, yes, all so, day. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I have 100. That's great. I'm, yeah. I'm glad you're still playing music. It is, yeah. it is, it's become a little bit more of that for me. I mean, it's a little bit different uh, with, the, the, with the kid thing, but like, it's, it's not therapeutic per se, but it really is like it's. It's the, uh, it's a it's a part of who I am that like I don't I don't I don't need to function in the world the mm -hmm. way it used to. Yeah, yeah. But I need it. I need it for me to feel complete. And yes. when I put it down, I've done, I made the mistake in the past where I'm like I'm just kind of done with it, done with it. Yeah, yeah. And then I wouldn't have you know I couldn't have identified like what what is that it feels mm. like I'm missing. It's like I didn't eat breakfast or something. Yeah, like what is yeah, that? Yeah. It's like oh. I, I want to be making music. As I got down the nerd rabbit holes with how your brain works, I realized I was hitting the teeter-totter. If you was probably like a five-sided teeter-totter, but I was hitting it too hard yeah. on certain things. Just so I'm like, I need more knowledge. I need more info. Yeah. And I didn't realize that if you if you stop using – your body's just so incredibly designed. If, if you stop using part of it, it pulls resources, right? Yeah. And so I do it – that completeness, that's a great word – Like. It gives me something to sit down. I like learning old Skid Row solos. Yeah, yeah. They're they're hard, <laughs> and I, I don't understand how they play all, that, all that stuff. But it like gives me something to practice that I don't know how to do. Yeah, it's just out of my reach, and I have to work hard at it. It has no bearing on my life, yeah. but I feel like it resets. It, I don't know. It just it sets the teeter totter back in balance. In the context of wholeness, uh, I mean, part of some stuff that you and I have talked about personally, like when is when we're going to talk about like brand versus identity. Here in a minute, but when you when you're talking like your vocation, mm -hmm. and you're at you know you know you're at the party, you're at a gathering, and someone introduces you to someone, and they ask you like, what do you do? At this phase of your life, mm -hmm. if you were to introduce yourself, and this is what I this is what I do, how do you answer that question now? Like, Usually, it's I'm just a mental health guy. Yeah, like I broadly, you, that's just like, like I'm to, a mental health. I like guy. to help people. Yeah, yeah. So uh, a counseling professor years ago gave us this exercise that was transformative for me. Um, and what she said was, by this stage in your academic career, we're all pretty good with words. <laughs> and she said, so they stop meaning things because you're manipulating them. She said, I want you to not write down what your vision statement is, what your purpose statement is. Mm. You draw a picture of it. Whoa. And that messed me up. Yeah, I was like, man. I don't. Because like it looks different than I can make some poetic flower thing. Uh, agreed. And so I wrestled, wrestled with it, and the picture I came up with was something on fire, whether it was a house or a city. Yeah. And it was me on a curb, and I was reaching over, lighting somebody's cigarette. Oh wow! And I remember like when it all falls apart, I just I'll I'll, I'll be there. I'll sit with you. That's really good. And that became the 
I did that when I was 16 at Burger King. Like you could feel that heat off somebody who was yeah. just like, and you just be like, hey man, how are you? And yeah, yeah. It, their, their whole composition comes down or whatever the nonsense I'm doing now or yeah. running into a building and someone's just uh, the thread. taking their life. It's all, I'll just show up. Is that helpfulness? Yeah. And so you can't say that in a party, but so I can just say, I'm just a mental health guy. Because I'm going to get fired from this. Like there's no <laughs> question. No question. This doesn't last forever. It doesn't last And so forever. I'll get fired and uh, then I'll go do something else. Yeah. But I, wherever I end up, hopefully. You'd be helpful. I'll walk into the mess and help be, help be a part of calming the situation now. That was in college. Do you have that exercise? Uh, no, it was it was maybe ten or fifteen years ago. It was it was oh, like wow. maybe a decade ago. It was when I was my I was an adult. So did you like? Would you have felt or like like had a like a sense of that thread? Because that's part of the trick for folks, right? Is when we talk about vocational change, moving from one season. This is this is not the first job you've had. Like folks have job turnover now. I don't know what the what the stats are now, it's but madness. it's madness. But yeah. it's like someone the average job turnover somewhere between every like two to three years. Like yeah. at, like, and that's that includes people who've been, you know, twenty years in certain jobs, which right. is ridiculous. Yeah. But like you know, when folks change jobs, there is this sense of uh, like identity loss. Like, did you feel a thread as you, as you've moved through like multiple jobs, did you kind of feel a thread? Did you like, mm. were you chasing the job? Were you chasing the feeling? Yeah. So I, I, a, a transformative moment for me was realizing whatever new job I get, I go with me. And so, yes, I was pathological, psychotic about, I've got to get this job title yeah, so that I can get this dollar amount so that I can finally be okay. That was in your brain early. It was, or like at this age, you will make this, I, I, I set a, you will make six figures by the time you were 35. That, that was an actual, there like, was not a fallback plan. That was your plan plan? Yes, and it didn't happen. Age dollars. And it was 35, 36 was a, like a spiraling out for me. Yeah. And then 37 became, I bet I could cobble together 14 different jobs. And then I realized, oh, I got it. And everything had fallen apart, right? So it was like. That's such a different plan. Oh, it's, dude. It's yeah, such yeah. a different plan to be like, at 35, I'm going to be making this much money to like, I'm just going to have a bunch of jobs. I, I'm, I'm, I will figure out a way to get the, And so, yeah. and that's like kind of the Instagram hustles. Like, you can, cr you can, dude. You actually can. Yeah. And you'll lose everything. And so yeah. the idea was, who are you all the time, regardless of that's really good. job title? Who are you? Uh, I think it was uh, it was Peterson. Andy Peterson said, uh, "Your community defines your calling," and that was that 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 was really heavy for me because I sat back and said, "Okay, what do my friends call me for?" Yeah. Oh, they call me when their wife is sick, when their kids in jail, when someone's going to take their own life. They call me. That's what my my role is to come into heavy moments, yeah. not to go wear a suit and be some vice president somewhere. Yeah. And so it was sitting back and listening to. Because I feel like my my trajectory is almost always out of pain. Hmm. Somebody told me I couldn't do something. My sister was in, on the academic decathlon team. My brother missed like two questions on the ACT. Yeah. That's why I've got two doctors. Not because I want, like, I was always like, I'm smart too, guys. I'm smart too. <laughs> yeah. And everyone's like patting me on the head because I was a jock. Good and like, You're cute. Good man. Job, it was all, yeah, it was yeah. just chasing. Yeah. Never stopping to be like, hey, what is my, what is my church community? What do my friends call me for? Yeah. They call me when things get sideways. Like that's that's vocation yeah. for me. That's really good, and that's going to be whatever job I happen to take. And the, the fact that your stuff right now is framed, I think that's accurate. Like a, a mental health guy, it you know, you end up having conversations with people. You're about to record your show. Your call-ins are very few. People are calling and saying like, "Hey, I have this mental health crisis." They're calling up and saying, "I have a relational crisis." Right. Talk about for a minute. Um, 
we were talking about mental health, mm -hmm. the, the culture and, and the job. The first thing is, is it harder as someone who has the information, someone's done the work, like has degrees, is it harder to uh, maintain one's own like mental health mm. if you know all this stuff? Does it make it easier to dodge? Like, is it easier to be a person who's mentally healthy if you are the mental health guy? Or is it harder? Uh, I think it's harder because I can get arrogant about it real fast. Okay. Like I can, my wife will say, hey, you need to call a counselor. And she, her body begins to feel six months before I start falling off that, yeah. hey, you're headed in another direction. You're not sleeping as well. You're a little bit, it, it, she just can watch it happen now after yep. being together for so long. And my first thought is, I know what they're going to tell me. They're going to tell me I need to do this, stop doing this. I need to do these breathing <laughs> things. I need to start doing And so it's real easy for me to go, I'll just do those things. And self-diagnose in the same way that other people self-medicate. Right. And counseling is an information. It's it, it is some occasionally, but it's rarely information. Yeah. It's it's relationship. That's super key. Yeah. Counseling is not information. You it, don't it, go there. It to can get, be. But the core of the, the core thing of it is relationship. Is and they've done all those studies like MFTs and social workers and counselors and this guy is glossary and this guy does CBT and this one does. None of that matters. What matters is the relationship between the client and the therapist. Yeah. Do I trust you? Do you, do can I practice relationship with you in a safe place? Yeah. And so that's that's the healing alchemy. Not yeah. occasionally it's you need to go do breathing exercises, you need to do this. But I'll go as far as I think now the exercises that a counselor gives you to do, you feel better if you breathe, all right? If you yep. feel better if you journal, you feel better if you do those things. Yep. If you start letting your needs be known. And that reinforces trust in a relationship, which I think is more healing to the body than the exercises. Yeah. The practice reconnects you with yourself to a degree, but the fact that you've done it as an act of trust to someone else connects you with another person. That's right. And that's, that's, that's what I mean. When, that's, that's what I mean when, when folks call you up on the show, they're not calling you up and they're saying, I, they're not saying like, I'm, I, I am having, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not have, I'm not, I'm not have, or I'm not, they're not calling and saying I'm having anxiety or symptoms of anxiety or like I'm disoriented or they do I'm that dysregulated. They do that a lot. But like they'll come up and say, but they'll notice it in a relationship. I, I know this because, right my husband and I or my son and I like they yeah, notice yeah. it because of the disconnect between usually people. or they've been diagnosed by someone talked to him for three and a half minutes ran him through the mill gave him some pills and diagnosed them and then sent him on their way yeah and the diagnosis was accurate like you you've been you report that you've been experiencing this set of, of symptoms for this period of time stamped and then head on out yeah and so somebody calls seven months later and that didn't help right mm. their life is in any it, it, it's just further spirals, right? Yeah. And so I can be um, probably too far. I hit the pin on too far. Um, be pretty dismissive hmm. of of some of the jargon and the lingo because yeah. I, I have found after leaving after I worked in higher ed for twenty years. Yep. After leaving that world and spending my time talking to single moms <laughs> and truck drivers, I didn't realize how much we were just talking over people. Yeah. It, it was not helping. Yeah. Right. We were band-aiding. We we're not helping. And so there's a different. It's a um a. Just finished listening to the Johan Hari book. Yeah, uh, Lost, Connections. Uh, Lost Connections. It's phenomenal, isn't it? It's well, and and because he doesn't at all dismiss the academics. He doesn't. I mean, he pushes back pretty hard against about over medicating people, etc. Um, he, but he, he, I mean, he honors the tradition. He honors the profession of uh, of uh, you know psychotherapy, but he reframes it as a matter of connection, that the issue is not that you have this disorder, 
this disorder is a way to talk about the lack of connection you have with your dreams, yeah. yourself, your body, your relationships. Yeah. The disorders almost always our bodies trying to take care of us. And some of us, because of genetics, get pulled underwater. Some of us get spun up. Some of us get distracted. Some of us are in chaos. It's our body trying to take care of us with the limited tools it's got. Yeah. It's not the issue. The issue is your relationship's a mess or you only know what a toxic marriage looks like and so you're recreating it in real time. You don't know how yep. to, you're, you know, you, you, that's the, if you saw, it's like, you've probably heard my analogy about the smoke alarm. Yep. Like if your alarm goes off in your kitchen, duct taping over the alarm doesn't fix the fact that your house is burning down around yep. you. It's actually helping you out, yep. even though it's loud and piercing and annoying and all that. So it's, it's I what I've learned here is like take the DSM, like the, Diagnostic Statistic Manual. It's where yeah. all like mental health diagnoses are, yeah. right? Like you've got major depressive disorder. You've got like, that is. Imagine this: a group of scientists and doctors say, "Hey, we need to start speaking the same language," and so and we need to be able to communicate with the insurance company. So they created an internal document for themselves that said, "Hey, if somebody's had this stuff for this long, we're going to call it this." Mm -hmm. Then it took a life of its own. Yep. And so it, it's people talking past each other. You've yep. got clinicians talking one way to each other, yep. and those codes are being used as labels and identities and reasons to not love somebody in all kinds of wild ways. Yeah. And it's just been perverted. Talk about the, the, the upside versus, uh, versus maybe some of the pitfalls of a time in uh, at least um, like American – culture uh yeah this is and it's pretty broad I, i'm comfortable I'm, I'm i'm not as i'm not always as, co as comfortable with like really broad sweeping things but like for the most part i love me some generalized things yeah but like <laughs> those people it, 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 I, there's never been a time in my life or maybe even previously where there's as much open conversation about mental health mm -hmm. and it runs you know in your experience is similar to mine like if you're on instagram you, if you spend time on Instagram, it's every third thing is like it, maybe a joke about OCD. Mm -hmm. uh, like some of the most dominant like meme pages or like you know you know OCD pages or ADHD, ADHD. pages. There's a, there's an upside to the amount of like conversation. There are also some pitfalls. I, I just want to put them on the table and have you talk about it for a minute. As someone who's working directly with people, you're actually mm -hmm. having these conversations. Yeah. There is this uh, heavy information culture around mental health it is a hot topic yeah. talk about the good and the bad of a world in which like that's people are talking about this all the time now so i man we can get i'll back way up and then we can i'll try to go, yeah, go. quick so i can be kind of annoying you can just edit this out um i think we're on the back end of and of the enlightenment right which the idea is to truly know something i'm going to take it apart to its smallest piece hmm. i'm going to take it apart all of its pieces then i'll finally know what it is and how it works. And you can take apart a combustion engine all the way to its pieces and lay it out. You can see how a combustion engine works. And so I think that's run its course and it's been cool. And now we know how dopamine works and serotonin. We're figuring out how the brain works and the gut biome. That's all great information. It's fun, right? Then you're a single mom with two kids and you're working your third job. Learning about, you know, your serotonin reuptake is not like, what, dude, what do I do? Right. And so I think that we are a culture that is clamored. We worship at the altar of information mm. and data. And it's become uh, a it's it's become an, 
analgesic. It's become a, a way to curb anxiety. I just need more information. Hmm. And how many times you and I both have probably benefited financially from hey, seen have a cup of coffee. Yeah. Can we talk? 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 Yep. Because somebody wants to like just go do it, make the record, dude. You yeah. know, or just go quit the job and go start something else. Yeah. Um, and so we just need more data, more data, more data, and it's become this trap. So you fast forward all the way to this idea of mental health. We took health. I don't think mental health. This is going to sound so lame. I don't think it's real. Divorced from spiritual health and relational health and physical health. I mean, and as an isolated thing, it's not mental health. It's, it's as unsafe to think about that that way. Okay. And so um, it is important that I have a place where I can get my tires checked and get my oil checked, and somebody knows how to do upholstery. That's important. All of that contributes to the car moving, yeah. right? And so we look at, we go to a mental health practitioner, and we go to a uh, doctor on the on the corner. Then we go to a surgeon. Then we go to a physical therapist. Yeah. All man, in isolation, those things can fix little parts and make really important. But um, I've compartmentalized myself. That's right. And I'm not living as a whole person. And so I eat. Gar- this is me. I mainline. I have like a like a comical addiction to gummy candies, like a problem. <laughs> and do you I, have a favorite one, dude? Anything, like, like <laughs> what, what, your we favorite on, one is the one in front. We of We were on a trip once, and they and they're like, one guy's like, "You're disg- like you have no taste. Like you're in indescri- <laughs> like oh you're like doing meth off a bathroom floor, like in a gas station. Like I was like, yes, I need it. But it's gummy worms. It's gummy stuff. worms. I yes. don't care. And so I can I can journal all day long. I can. Mm have deep relationship with my wife, I can go see my therapist. If I eat 3,000 calories of poison a day, mm. my sleep gets sideways. Yeah. I don't sleep. I yep. wake up a little bit grumpy, and so then I poke at my kids a little bit, and yep. they separate, and then my little childhood wounds of uh, someone's going to leave me come up. So I over, right? So I start a, so I can fix mental health all day long. So I, I say that to say I think globally we've got an issue because yes. we've, we're talking about it in isolation, and we're trying to divorce it from, dude, you got to have friends. Yeah. So one, you know, there's one one of the pitfalls to like the mental health meme culture and all the conversations about it is we put it on a pedestal, we idolize it, we make it a thing as opposed to a thing as opposed to it's make, a part of a stream. Yes. Yeah, the yeah. connection to everything. So else. that's that's one. The best thing that's happening right now is really important social norming. Hmm. Is you've got I, I I love listening to the stories from the World War II vets yeah. who will weep saying we thought we were insane hmm. and we thought we were crazy. We didn't know that our friends who came back with us couldn't sleep either. And we're having nightmares. Like, we just had to sit on this for 40 years. And so there is something powerful about the idea of like, that's why I think diagnostics can be really important. It names the dragon, right? Like yeah. you're not, you're not insane. Your body is, is anxiety, right? You're depressing yeah. right now. And you should be, you lost your mom, right? Like, yeah. or this is a, your wife left you. You should, your body is naturally doing what it's supposed to be doing. Yeah. Um, or you're working in a toxic job, or you have found yourself in a marginalized community, and people are are treating you as waste. Right? Your body should be rattling at the seams. The idea you're that not you're safe. not you're not okay, but it's not wrong that you're not okay. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And so there's a social norming that I think is really important. Yeah. The balance is that the social norming doesn't come over and become a life of victimization, a life of well, this is just the way this is, yes. a life of. Oh, I have anxiety. Like I have the flu. Like it's a thing that came upon me and will always be with me. Yep. Instead of it's a state my body found itself in trying to take care of me. Yeah. Um, and so it's that there's just a balance there. But I'd much rather it be a conversation that we're having than 
everybody be silent and going about your day. This so, tends this tends to be my my posture is like it is it is a lot and that there are significant pitfalls. But I, I I I would almost and this is definitely more my personality. I would almost always work with the too much and pair back. Always, always. Like we're gonna overcorrect. That's cool. At least we're. At least we're having a like, conversation. It's like, it's like it's like going you know two for forty two from the floor. Keep shooting. Keep shooting. Keep shooting. Keep shooting. Eventually they fall. Right. Yes. Eventually they fall. Uh, and I think that, I think that that part that I I have peace that 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 part levels itself back out. Yeah, right. I think the contextualization is is super key. I mean, the earlier today when I was telling uh, conversations I had after I was talking about grief mm -hmm. as a you let, let grief have its moment. Right. One of one of the I don't want to call it a miss, but like one of the pitfalls, the current pitfalls is. Uh, the, whether it's grief or dysfunction of any kind when it becomes uh when it gets idolized it doesn't get contextualized so the like, grief has its moment mm -hmm. know that it has its moment so that you can move through it right because there's another side and that other side is usually thankfulness that yes. you grieve what wasn't yes so that you can see what is and what can be and yeah. what can be yeah. so you can you know the 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 person who lives with a form of depression and again this is Johan Hari stuff like mm -hmm. this is point this is your body screaming at you like these things are not okay correct I, you should absolutely know that and recognize that mm -hmm. but not as a matter of your like uh core identity this correct. is a situational thing mm -hmm. there's a maybe an uh, i think this is more of a question i'm asking like there isn't like an over identification like i am someone i am depressed yes becomes an identity as yes. opposed to no this is actually situational predominantly situational mm -hmm. Um, the great, not the, great, the whole of who you The are. great William Glasser, he was a psychiatrist, and he's got some stuff that has not stood the test of time, so make no mistake about that. He's not perfect. Um, in fact, he's got some harrowing stuff. It's like, ah, yikes. But <laughs> um, he would not allow his clients to say, I'm depressed or I have a headache. Interesting. They had to say, I'm depressing. I'm anxiety I'm headaching. I'm backaching. Um, and the but it's a thing that's happening. He wanted people to take ownership. Your body's trying to take care of you, hmm. and your job is not to fight the alarm system. It's to try to find out what your body's trying to solve for you. Yeah. And that's when genetics comes into play. Like some of us are, yeah, just get pulled underwater. Some of us get spun up. My diagnostics throughout my life have been OCD, comical OCD. ADHD, like if you Google it, I'm, that's my photo, yep. right? And so when I see things like ADHD is not real, I get – like, it for sure is, dude. Talk to my wife. Yeah. It for sure is. <laughs> yes. And it's my superpower. Kind, not, sort of. Not, I would, I would trade it. I would trade it right now, right? Yeah. And harnessed, and when, it's, when it works for me, it's, it's magic, yes. right? I think we got a culture that's given us, and we've split this thing down the middle on either side. You've got the, you know, screw your feelings. Like, they don't matter. If you have a feeling you're a coward, you're a yeah. fool, like, crush it, grind feelings it, Feelings aren't facts, it, end of story. Move, right? Yeah. And then you've got the you are your feelings. Yeah. Like you make a truth as you go along and whatever you feel is, it is reality. Yeah. And I think both of those are nonsense. And I think it's I think the path before us is to create a new third way, which is no, you gotta feel that. That yeah. hurts. And it, it's gonna hurt for a long time. Yeah. And to me, the most terrifying question a human asks is, What am I gonna do now? Yeah. And I don't think we have a cultural answer to that. So part of what the, the, the you know, culture creativity, you know, you you're work you're working on what'll be your your third book in the last five years? Last four years, three years. Yeah, we're cranking them out. Yeah. Um, one of the w one of the terrors of writing things down is like you've now it's set. Oh, like dude. here's yeah. here's <laughs> the thing books, that yeah. here's the thing that is true. Mm -hmm. um, talk about like 
a little bit about like um, taking what, what would normally be conversations or narratives that like you have, you know, and then you can all, once you write it down in a book, talk about that process for you. Like, how do you decide like, this is what I, this is what's worth putting in paper now, like mm -hmm. like the topic of a book. Yeah. Um, how do you decide what's worth putting in a book? Be a, because things change, information changes, science changes, relationship change. But B also like, how do you know, like in the moment, like this is the important thing so how do you navigate those two things? That what? How do you know that the thing you're putting in in a book is like this is important for the moment, and how do you deal with like the the maybe the concern that like in seven years brain science might ch you know change and I and I'll know so this differently. I left I left you know being a scientist working with scientists right, um, and that's I'm using that term broadly. I didn't have a lab coat or anything, but like right. being a research nerd, and then coming to work for a media company. It, I it was this, and then COVID happens. Yeah. And I'll never forget this. So King's College, I think it was, out of London, lays down their first model. We think, I don't know, 50 million people are going to die. And I watched it in real time, and I didn't know it was happening. I didn't know this existed. My science friends across the world and colleagues immediately said, sweet, game on. Because the whole idea in science is to be a little bit less wrong. To When you, when you submit a, a statistical paper, you reject the null. Yeah. I, I wasn't wrong. Yeah. Right. The whole idea is I'm probably wrong. Here's what I think is going to happen, yeah. but I'm probably wrong. And so within two weeks, more data comes in, more models from more colleges, more researchers. And they're like, no, it's going to be 12. And the whole scientific community rejoices. Thank God. Yeah. 20 million people less. Let's keep going. And they keep refining it back. The only two organizations I've found that have no, um, have no back button, hmm. have no revision button. Yeah. is politics and media yeah. and maybe some certain faith communities to say, hey, we thought this, we doubled down on this, and then we got new information. Thank God we got new information. This is yes. incredible, right? Yeah. And so for me, the idea of not of being wrong in seven years, make no, like, it will happen. There mm. is no question about that. Yeah. The important part for me sitting down with somebody is a posture of, is, am I with you or am I talking at you? Mm. And that to me over time as, as, as my ego has become less and less important is, is what I'm saying going to help the person in front of me yeah. or is it going to make me look smart? And if I'm trying to make myself look smart or trying to make myself look edgy or cool, or this is a great line. Yes. It's going to always, that's going to get me into trouble over time because I'm going to overstep my bounds. Right. right. It's like, uh, I have to have that guitar. I will borrow money. I'll sell my wife's jewelry versus I'm going to save up over time. Yep. And then when this becomes part of our budget, I can buy that thing. Is right? the difference between it, like recognizing a hot button issue and like the, the, the topic in the moment mm -hmm. and speaking at it because it's what's being talked about, right. which is very ego driven. hundred like, percent. I got to say something. I got to say something because this is being, this is what, this is what's happening on Twitter. So uh, I've got to have, I have to have an opinion and speak right. to it or write a book about it. Right. And you know, it's Y2K all over again. Everyone wrote a book. Um, versus I have something to actually offer that will actually help a person and it makes it more of a conversation. That's that, exactly that, right. That's like the, the root of it ends up being, am I, am I helping people? Which goes back to the lighter image. Like, am I really going to be able to actually help you? Yes. And I think there's, I think there's a, a wisdom. I, I think there's a wisdom now for me as, as a three-legged stool. One of it is you got to have the, the info. You got to have, you got to know, like in music, you got to turn the knobs. You got to yeah. know how to play guitar, the chords and everything. And in my world, like you've got to know how brain science works and what the theories are. Yeah. And have I walked that? Have mm. I been laid low? Have I had to have a personal experience? And that's not enough either. 
The hmm. other one is, have I walked alongside enough people to begin to see patterns emerge? And hmm. the Instagram world we like live in. Like actual patterns in actual people's in lives. In actual other human beings' lives. Yeah. And so I think we're in a, uh, like a tell your memoir as, as wisdom and, and tell your memoir as truth. No, you had a really wild, incredible, trans, transcendent experience. Yeah. That is not yeah. how facts and data work, right? <laughs> and your story matters. I want to hear it. Yes. But I'm not going to cast your story as a shadow on all of humanity, yeah. right? And I have to know that, like, I've talked to 75 people. Here, here's a, uh, a good example. You can take this out. Um, uh, probably the most common questions I get on my show are about sex and intimacy. Yeah. Right. Like couples, like I thought it was going to look like this. We've got the first generation raised almost entirely in pornography. Like th there's just a mixed match of what are we doing? Yeah. Right. And for the last 50, 20 years, I, I ask these questions openly at dinner conversations with friends and things. Yeah. And so I'm working on something that will help couples. And so I turned in a first draft and some of my colleagues were like, no, we can't ask humans that like in this, like, right. And I was like, whatever. So I showed my wife and she's like, for sure. No. <laughs> And I said, I said, sure Sheila, no. we, I ask these questions to our friends all the time. And she said, and you have been so awkward for like 20 years. Oh, and interesting. So, and so uh, I thought everyone's experience was mine. And I just left a wake of awkward rides home for other couples that I had no idea. That's right? fantastic. And so all I have to say is, I think you got to know what you're talking about. You have to have, having some personal experience is really, really important. And you've got to have walked alongside enough people that you see things begin to emerge. And so when you when you put all three of those together, and then I sit down and say, I wouldn't tell them that. I'd probably tell them this. Yeah. Um, and I, let me throw one more thing. Yeah. I uh, when I was I was the dean of students at a law school in Texas, and I'm not a lawyer. I was just a mental health guy. And so I learned a ton. It was phenomenal about how they think and how they see the world. I met yeah. some brilliant, wonderful people. And I would ask all the time, hey, what do you think about fill in the blank? And dude, the most brilliant computational minds, they would rattle off these ideas and theories and here's the casework and all yeah. that stuff. And then our kids would be playing together. And they weren't doing that thing. Like their kids were doing like what my kids were doing. Hmm. And it was a shift like, oh, I quit asking people what you think. And I start asking people, what do you do with your kids? Because that tells me what you believe. That's good. And so – for me, if somebody asks me a question, almost always I'm going to give you the answer. Here's what I would do with my son. In 10 years, he might end up in therapy over what I did. But the best answer I can give you is not what I think. It's here's what I would do with my wife. That's really, really good. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I feel like I, I've, because got, that's where, like, I've you, got less to unwind. You're working with the information. You're living in a personal story. Right. And it's actually got a personal investment. That's right. And it's not just an idea. And my mom has come back and said, like, she you know, was all in James Dobson's book back when I was a kid. And I, she's like – I probably would do some of that differently, right? Yes. You know what I mean? Like I, those were my Bible, and I probably would, would change that. Yeah. Um, and I can honor that. She was trying to do the best she could with the info she had. She was trying to love me the best she could. And to be able to go, I would have done that differently. I'm sorry I did it that way. That's right. And yeah. so I think that's – I think anytime you write a book, that's important. Yeah. Dude, thanks for your time. Oh, of course, man. Appreciate that. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you for your time. You got it. And thank you for listening to this episode of the At Sea Podcast. If you would like to follow up with and learn more about Dr. John Deloney, you can visit him at RamseySolutions.com backslash John dash Deloney. John with the H and Deloney is D-E-L-O-N-Y. From there, you can jump to his books, listen to his podcast, watch his show. If, along with that, you'd like to be one of the folks that makes this podcast happen, 
you can jump to patreon.com backslash Justin McRoberts. And we'd love to have you on the team. Until next time.